We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Two guests on the show today. Ben Standing will be on the show today. He broke some news earlier this morning uh, related to Deron Payne. And then following Ben, we'll talk to Chris Knocky about the NBA playoffs the day after uh, Brooklyn was swept out of the first round by Boston. Uh, don't fret, Nets fans. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, according to Kyrie last night, um, will general manage the team back to uh, contention. Uh, before we get started with something that Ron Rivera said in his press conference yesterday, um, which I want to talk about, I want to mention to you something I mentioned last week, and that is the PGA Tour is back in the area. The Wells Fargo is going to take place at Avenel in Potomac, May 2nd through May 8th, and there's a pro-am on Wednesday, and there's an opportunity for you, if you're a big golfer, along with three others, put together a foursome and you'll get to play in the Pro-Am with a professional player on the front nine, a professional player on the back nine. The cost is $12,500 for the entire foursome. That's a bargain. Most of these Pro-Am foursomes go for like thirty grand. Uh, $12,500 for you and three of your buddies to play in the Pro-Am on Wednesday, May 4th at Avenel uh, in Potomac. Um, you get a lot of other things, too. You get uh, tickets for the weekend. You get a a package that includes the Tuesday night pairings party. Um, And all of this benefits the Salute Military Golf Association. The SMGA provides rehab golf programs, experiences, and family golf opportunities for post-9-11 wounded war veterans in an effort to improve the quality of life for these American heroes. If you're interested, DM me on Twitter at Kevin Sheehan DC direct message me uh, and I will connect you with the right people associated with the SMGA uh, to get this done again May 4th Pro-Am you and three of your friends with two pros a pro on the front nine a different pro on the back nine $12,500 is a bargain to participate in one of these Pro-Ams if you're interested DM me uh, and I will connect you with the right people 
Yesterday, Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew held a pre-draft press conference. Now, much of it was kind of repetitive. Uh, you know, they updated the status and health of guys like Curtis Samuel and Chase Young, and all seems well right now. Uh, they both discussed the fact that they didn't think that the team would end up with just six draft choices, which is what they have right now. They don't have a pick in the third round. They don't have a pick in the fifth round right now. They have two in the seventh. They both think that the draft is really strong in the middle of the draft. You know, there are more players in this draft because of the COVID year. Uh, so they believe that a lot of guys that, you know, as an example, may have been, you know, a third round pick in a normal draft, you might be able to get them in the fourth round. So they think the middle rounds are very strong and they have six picks, but they both uh, alluded to the fact that they would try to acquire uh, more p uh, picks by trading back in, in some uh, round to pick up uh, more picks in this draft. Um, Ron Rivera complimented Kyle Smith on the job that he did in a very tough environment in 2020 during COVID uh, for that draft. But I want to play something for you that Ron Rivera ended the press conference with. He had just answered um, in long form a question about the quarterback evaluations when the season ended. And he went into a lengthy discussion about how uh, he hasn't, you know, put that much time into the quarterback position in the offseason as the team's head coach since the Cam Newton year. And he talked about how when they drafted Cam in 2011, he watched every single game and every single snap that Cam played, including his junior college tape from Blinn College. Um, before he ended up at Auburn uh, and that he with the quarterbacks in the draft this year had watched six to seven games each of all of the guys and he went on and on about how you know they had really done their homework and he had been intimately involved in doing the homework on all the quarterbacks and then you know they made the deal for Carson Wentz and his focus changed. So there was a follow-up question that basically was the final one asked at the press conference. And it was a question essentially that said, all that homework that you did on the quarterbacks, did it help you get ready for the draft? I want you to listen carefully to what his answer was. It does, because you have a frame of reference. You, you, you feel pretty good about them. You really do. And, and there were several of them that you, know, you like. And, and I, you know, in my mind's eye, I, I, have, a, I have a guy that I, I would think about you know, that if we were still in this deposition that I would have most certainly considered early. Well, that was revealing, don't you think? Rivera might say that's interesting, not important. But that was revealing and interesting. Ron Rivera told you in that soundbite at the end of the press conference yesterday that there is a quarterback that they have a high grade on. There is a quarterback in this draft that they like. Quote, and in my mind's eye, I have a guy that I would think about that if we were still in that position, I would most certainly have considered early, closed quote. Still in that position, meaning if they were still looking for a quarterback, if they hadn't made the Wentz trade, and most certainly would have considered, considered early, I think is first round. If they didn't have a quarterback and there's a guy that they really like, the odds are the guy is Malik Willis. That's my opinion. And to take Malik Willis, you would have had to take him in the first round, more likely than not. He told you there's a guy in this draft that they have a high grade on. So that gets us back to the conversation that we had yesterday on the podcast about this story that uh, Football Outsiders wrote. 
as they identified the biggest needs for all 32 teams. And when it came to Washington, they said quarterback. And the reason they said quarterback is they said Wentz's stopgap and the commanders need to act like it. If they see a quarterback fall to them at 11 and they've got a first-round grade on them, they should strike. If a quarterback with a second-round grade is there in the second round, they should strike. We don't think they will, but it's what they would do if they were honest about what Wentz is, closed quote. Now, yesterday I said, if there's not a quarterback that they like, well, the conversation's, you know, moot. If they don't like any quarterback, if they don't view a quarterback of having a big-time upside, then you don't do it. You don't do it just for the sake of doing it. But Ron revealed that there is a quarterback that they like, that they would have taken early if they didn't make the trade for Carson Wentz. So that gets us to this. The trade's done. There's nothing you can do about it. But you still have to keep your long term in mind. Wentz is a stopgap, people. If he weren't, they would have restructured his contract. The hope is that one year he's able to give them a significant upgrade over over what they've had and that he starts to reach the potential that he showed back in 2016 and 2017. I don't believe that that's possible. I think that, you know, or I don't believe it's probable. If it were probable, he'd still be in Indy. He'd still be in Philadelphia. He was available because two teams didn't think that he was capable of reaching that point anymore. I think Carson Wentz's best for this year is to play like a top half of the league quarterback, like middle of the pack, 16 to 18 type of starter. And so if that's the case, many of you would say, well, you can't spend number 11 or even a second rounder on anything other than to support him with good players. Because if you get a top half of the league guy, Sheehan, you can compete if you have a good team around him. That's true. But to what end? Nine wins? Wild card? Like, the long term has to be trying to find the franchise quarterback that will set you up for sustained success. That is not Carson Wentz. So if you don't have that player, you should be always thinking about how to find that player. And the draft is one of those ways to think about it. Not if you don't like any of the quarterbacks, but if you do like a quarterback and you think Malik Willis has huge upside, you don't worry about ruffling feathers. You don't worry about the opportunity to give that quarterback another weapon uh, by taking another quarterback that might, might not play. You have to roll the dice on somebody that you really feel strongly about. That's my opinion. I think if they've got a first-round grade on Malik Willis, that they should try to trade back and take him. You know, trade back with Baltimore. Trade back with, you know, you can't go back too far or you won't have a chance. They're not going to do this. I understand that. I think they should. I agree with football outsiders. And the fact that Ron Rivera revealed yesterday that there is a quarterback that they like and they would have considered early had they not acquired Carson Wentz, then they're going to be at risk down the road of watching a guy like Malik Willis go to Pittsburgh and blow up into a big-time quarterback, and they had the opportunity. And they liked him, if that's the guy. I want to play one other quick soundbite for you. Thor Nystrom uh, covers the draft in the NFL for NBC Sports. I recorded an interview with him just moments ago that I'm going to play in its entirety on my radio show tomorrow. 
Thor does a big board of 500 players every year, and he ranks them 1 to 500 for the draft, and then he puts a pro comp next to their name. Uh, I've had him on the radio show before. He's really good. Again, I'm going to play the entire interview on the on the radio show tomorrow morning, but I want to play you this one part where he tells you who the number one player on the board for him is and why. Yeah, the, the number one player on my board is Malik Willis. Uh, the, the reason why is because I, he, he has a quad-precedented uh, skill set that he's bringing into the NFL. I've only seen it one other time at the quarterback position. That's Michael Vick. I, I comp him to a right-handed Michael Vick. I saw the guy go into Blacksburg as a 17.5-point underdog with no NFL talent around him and upset Virginia Tech basically single-handed. I've seen him beat Syracuse. I've seen him beat Coastal Carolina. I, again, the, the tools speak for themselves. The, the athleticism is absolutely ridiculous. He's going to be a top-five scrambler in the NFL of all time, and he's going into the NFL with one of the top three uh, arm strengths in the NFL currently. I, like Josh Allen's the only guy I think that has arm strength analogous to him right now. So you're just talking the physical tools, they're insane. And then as far as the accuracy thing, yes, he, he right now he struggles sort of with the easy throws. You know, I, I'm talking, you know, the over-the-middle stuff in, in the intermediate area. But if you talk about, like, the NFL throws 10 to 19 yards outside the hash towards the sidelines, he's the most accurate quarterback in this class. He also had uh, more than 20% of his throws last year were 20-plus yards downfield. He's one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the class at that, too. And you look at the last decade – only Lamar Jackson had an analogous rushing uh, output to, you know, as, with him for a non-option quarterback. He's going to bring that into the league, too. So as both a thrower and a running back, it's just a, a really high-octane skill set he's bringing to the NFL. The most optimistic review of Malik Willis that I have heard in this draft season. Uh, the entire interview with Thor Nystrom tomorrow morning on the radio show. Comped him to Michael Vick, a right-handed version of Michael Vick. It's one person's perspective. Uh, take it for what it's worth. If he's right, uh, then I would imagine other NFL teams see it and he'll be gone by the time Washington selects at 11 anyway. Uh, if he's right and other teams don't see it, then there will be several teams that will regret not turning his name in on a card when they're on the clock on Thursday night. Again, one person's guess on Malik Willis. Uh, but on his 500-player big board, he's got Willis number one overall. Ben Standig next uh, with his news on Deron Payne. Uh, Deron Payne is not going to be signed to a long-term contract extension, according to Ben. He'll have all the details. I'll tell you, one of the first things that I thought about is you got to trade him. If you're not going to sign him long-term, trade him, try to get something for him. Uh, but I don't think that's Ron's mindset right now. Ron really thinks this upcoming season is a very important one for him. Uh, we'll get to Ben next right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hi, joining us right now, uh, as he does often on this podcast, is Ben Standig, who, of course, writes for The Athletic, has his own podcast at Standig Room Only, and you can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Standig. Ben is really one of the best beat reporters when it comes to the Washington Commanders in town, and I asked Ben to come on the show because he broke some news Earlier this morning, I talked a little bit about it in the open of the podcast, Ben, but just share with everybody what you've learned about Deron Payne. Yeah, that basically what I was told is they are not expected to pick up, or sorry, they're not expected to uh, extend his contract. He's playing on the, the final year of his rookie deal. They picked up that option last year, so we knew at least in a minimum that was happening, but the question was, you know, was this going to be a Jonathan Allen situation where, you know, at some point here during the summer, they come to terms on a new deal. But, of course, as we've talked about for a long time, when you have the four defensive linemen picked in the first round, it's just not realistic to extend all of them, especially when you you know now have a quarterback who's getting paid a lot of money. And, frankly, when the defense, you know, under was underwhelming as it was last year, and Deron Payne has always felt like the guy who would be – sort of the odd man out, um, which isn't to say he's a bad player at all. He's good, but, you know, they already paid Allen, and the two, the defensive end, are more of a premium position. So, yeah, so what I've gathered is that they are not expected to, uh, extend, uh, to extend him, and it does lead to some questions about the draft in terms of what, is this, what, it, what does this mean? Um, you know, we, we know they need defensive line depth anyway, but, you know, could that potentially motivate them even a little bit more uh, because at some point, even if it's for next year, they've got to they've got to figure out a replacement plan if he in fact uh, does not come back. Do you think it's more about they just can't pay them all, or is it is there something specific about him where he got picked out of all of them uh, as the guy they're going to move on from? Um, or a combination well, of both. 
Sure, sure. I mean, it's a good question, and I don't definitively have an answer for that. I mean, you know, in this modern NFL, right, pass rush ability is huge. Now, his some of his pass rush numbers last year right. were pretty good. He had he, he almost doubled, I think, his career his career high with quarterback hits. Um, he had four and a half sacks, which is not a huge number, but for a guy like him, that's not a that's not a bad number. His, he had a career high in, in tackles overall and you know again I, I think under normal circumstances we'd be talking about him in a more you know uh, we would just be talking about him more um I, I just think that when you look at the other two spots you know the edge rushers as we see in this um you know in free agency this year those guys get paid right and because there's a reason they get paid because the guys who get after the quarterback are what you need on your team and then you know having allen you know i thought last year if you had said to me going into the john allen negotiations are you keeping Allen or Payne if you're only keeping one? I, I honestly might have leaned Payne, but Allen came up first. He's also, you know, seems like a little bit more of a locker room leader. Payne's much more of a quiet guy, certainly when he talks to reporters. Um, so, you know, they did what they did, and obviously it looks like a pretty good move. So, I, you know, I, I don't know for sure if there's anything specific as to why him beyond just sort of that circumstantial evidence, but... You know, it feels like that aspect of it is probably as much of a factor as anything at at this point. Yeah, um, I'm just wondering why, if this was the plan, and I kind of agree with you last year, although I never thought that they were going to get rid of John Allen. And I thought in many ways when you and I had these conversations previously that um, more likely than not, uh, they were going to figure out a way to keep all of them that were really good, that they really thought had promise. And I think in many ways, Deron Payne's upside is higher than even John Allen's. John Allen is a pro. He's a proven pro. He's a proven, you know, all pro kind of player. I think Payne has always had the ability potentially to be a top three or four player at his position. Now, he hasn't been that, and maybe they know that. It's not what he will ever be. Potentially, that's part of the issue here. Um, But if they knew that or they know that now, why not try to trade him now? Why shouldn't they be trying to trade him rather than let him play next year and get nothing for him when he goes to free agency? Sure. Um, And, you know, I I looked into that and, and, you know, I I just kind of wanted to sort of focus on what I could, you know, felt most comfortable uh, writing about. But I guess I would just say this, right? So we know with the compensatory draft pick situation, third round pick is what they would logically get, um, you know, most likely obviously there's other, you know, there's, there's a few different factors, like what, other, what do they sign other players themselves or things like that. But third round pick would be kind of what you're aiming at, right? So in order to trade him, you've got to get more than that. Now, the question, so, you know, can you get more than, than that? I think that is what is perhaps unclear, because if you're the other team, it isn't just you're trading the pick. You've got to then sign him. Yeah, you got to, you got to pay him, and you know I, that that you know he also has to agree to 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 want to do that. And I think that's got to be as much of a factor as anything. So you know, I, I, like logically, you know, if, if you're going to say that somebody is not, you, you're, if, if the plan is to not extend somebody, then logically. You should be considering these other variables, these other factors, but I just don't think it's a simple. Like I saw some people tweeting, you know, back at me or commenting on my tweet about this that, well, you know, trade him for a first round pick or whatever. Like, you know, I, I just don't think that. My guess is that's not an option. Otherwise, we probably would be having, <laughs> we we'd have, we'd have probably had that happen by now, or we'd hear more about 
something like that. So I think that's the thing, right? At a baseline, you're going to get a third-round pick, and plus you get the guy for this year. Uh, and by the way, I mean, just to be clear, just because they don't extend him doesn't mean he couldn't come back next year. He could sign a new deal. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen, obviously. You know, does, does Montez Sweater chase Young? You know, have a second, you know, have another disappointing season leading to a potential change in how the organization views them. What if the Terry McLaurin thing just blows up? That, I mean, they would still need another receiver, but maybe, you know, that you're not spending $23 million a year annually on a guy. So it's not like Deron Payne is definitely out long term. It's just if you're not going to extend him, then you're exposing him to the free agency market. And, you know, it seemed like a sign to say you were willing to let the guy go. Um, so that that could be another reason to say, well, unless we're going to get more than we think here with this compensatory pick, there's no reason to trade him because, you know, it's not like we're saying we need to get rid of the guy. We just, the circumstances are where they are. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's, uh, th- that's part of the conversation. I mean, as you bring it up, it's true. It's not like Kirk Cousins where they were pretty much guaranteed to get a first rounder, probably number two overall, had they dealt with the 49ers. Uh, prior to the 2017 season. It's not a Trent Williams or Brandon Sheriff situation either. Deron Payne isn't, you know, really at that level, although I think his upside in some cases might be higher um, than two of the three players mentioned. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that makes sense. And you're right, just because they're not picking up the option doesn't mean that if he has a great season or if somebody else doesn't have a great season, that things couldn't change next year. But you've just put yourself at great risk at losing a great player for nothing more than a compensatory pick. That's the issue. And you always have before the season starts and before the trade deadline next year if somebody gets desperate as a possibility. Uh, what else... Um, Go ahead. And by, the, and by the way, just, just just to stay on that front, like as we we've discussed over and over again, like one reason why it felt to me obvious from the beginning of uh, the off season that they were going to go for a veteran quarterback over a rookie was the idea that they got to win this year. That Ron Rivera is motivated, right. and focused on on a, on a turnaround this year. Well, having Deron Payne is potentially a really good thing. I mean, as bad as the defense was last year, we still believe, you know assume that with those four guys on the line could have this thing be a top 10 defense next year. Obviously, you know, a lot of other factors, but if they all play at their expectations, that's a really good thing. So having that guy, you know, having that help, like I help you this year is, is good. Even if there are bigger picture, longer term, you know, considerations uh, out there. Yeah. And I referred to that in the open, just, you know, this all in for kind of year three, it's an important year in having the best cast uh, out there. Uh, possible to give yourself uh, a great chance, even if it means it's not the right long, long term uh, decision. All right, uh, we are two days away from the draft. What are you hearing? Yeah, so uh, as part of the Duran Payne story, I dropped. I did like a whole sort of a emptying the notebook situation uh, on the Athletic, and you know, there's a lot in there. You know, I like to ask questions beyond this team, and part of understanding what's potentially available at 11 is trying to get a grasp on what's happening one to ten. And as you, you know, you, we've discussed, I'm sure you've had other guests say the same, like this is about as confusing as a top 10 as there can be for years. So as much as like the conversation seems to be, you know, Drake London, Kyle Hamilton, you know, a couple of the same names we hear over and over again, are, are they even going to be there? And then if they're not, you know, kind of what do you, where do you go? I, I, the Drake London momentum seems pretty real, but not just for 11. There are a lot of people now mocking him to the Falcons at eight as the first receiver off the board. Um, if that were to happen and they wanted to stay receiver, I'm not saying that I've heard this necessarily, but 
you know, it seems to be a lot of momentum out there that the answer would be Chris Olave instead of Garrett Wilson, which, you know, from a potential standpoint, that seems like an odd choice. It doesn't mean that, all, uh, that they're not comparable players, but uh, it just feels like what Wilson can offer would be a more, uh, has a higher ceiling. But it doesn't necessarily feel that that's where a lot of the reporting is on on that. But that's the thing. I, I, I think I, I need to actually look at this. I, I keep t- talking about this, but I don't look at this. I think Washington may, is arguably has the worst scenario of any team in the draft when it comes to the amount of options they have. I mean, a lot of teams, you look at the Ravens at 14, they could go offensive tackle, defensive tackle, pass rusher, cornerback, maybe even a couple other things, and like nobody would, would would say that those were bad picks based on the likely players available. Well, Washington basically can go wide receiver or defensive back, and it's really maybe even only safety, but you know, defensive back, that's kind of it. And I think that's it, it, it just has made their whole situation a bit more limiting than I think they would want it to be, but it is kind of where it at where, where it's at. I, I think you and I are both convinced. You know, I don't know how much they desperately want a receiver, but every time we all talk about it, that's what we keep discussing because there's just not, no other real positional options out there for them, unless, hypothetically, you did move a Deron Payne and now all of a sudden a Jordan Davis from Georgia is sitting there. But, you know, other than that, you know, it's, it's, I wish I had something more exciting to say than Drake London if he's available. But, you know, that's kind of how it feels to me with Kyle Hamilton is a big wild card. I, 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 if he's there, I, I, I guess it's more like I think I would probably rather take him than one of the other receivers, but I'm not. I'm just not sure if they think that way. Okay, but what about the Deron Payne thing? Does it mean that D lineman is in play? Could a Jordan Davis uh, be in play at 11 from Georgia? I don't. I guess from a logic standpoint, to me, it doesn't seem to make that much sense to have Jordan Davis and keep Deron Payne. I mean, Jordan Davis is sort of would be a, a, a legit replacement type because he's a guy that's maybe viewed as more run-stuffer than pass rusher, right? So there's no variance there if you're playing uh, b- both of them. Like at least Matt Ioannidis, if he would come in, he's offering you a pass rush ability that Payne didn't necessarily have. Maybe he wasn't as good as an all-around player, but he would at least give you that, right? He led them in sacks back in uh, 2019. I, I think Davis, to me, would be, if you know you're going to move on from Payne like now, then going for a Davis could make could make some more sense, but like I said, I don't necessarily get that that's in play. I'm just noting that like that like that's what it was. You know, that's kind of where we're at. There's just not this is not enough options for them at 11 in terms of positional needs. If they were to trade down, of course, then that's a whole different story. Now all of a sudden, there's more interior offensive linemen in play. Some of the linebackers could be in play, and you still would have receiver, defensive back there as well so i mean there's a lot of reasons to trade down one of them is just opening up the board but yeah i mean in theory you're getting the better player at 11 all right um you know a little bit more than 48 hours away from it what's your guess right now at 11 i mean i guess you got is is drake london going to atlanta because like i said that's now all of a sudden where a lot of people, the momentum. Well, that's going, part of what, that's know. part of what you're guessing. Are you gonna is if he? Do you agree with me, right? That if he's available, that's the choice. I I, I do. I guess my hesitancy right now is, and you know, I, at some point here, I have to put down the put down the, the spreadsheet, stop looking at the box draft, go outside for a while, clear my head. But as I look at it right now, 
I'm st- I, I guess I just keep thinking I, I'm not as convinced about the Kyle Hamilton part of this because I just don't know exactly that everybody there is it has has the same mindset of, of what he could do for this defense and that the receiver there's been so much focus on that. I guess I just keep getting stuck on, would you really take Chris Olave at 11? And I'm not saying that would be a horrendous pick or anything, but it just feels like he has a, 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 a lower ceiling than the other guys. He's somewhat similar to what you already have in McLaurin. That's what makes London so interesting because it's a completely different type of receiver. And even Wilson, you know, he's got more of the yards after the catch component than McLaurin. So I... I just don't quite get the Olave thing for them, but it feels like if I was going to do the mock draft based on what I think would happen, I feel like I would have to pick him, and I don't think I'm there yet. So I think that's my hesitancy with the Drake London part. If he's there at 11, I think that's the call. I just, you know, will he be there? I I, I, I have no idea right now. All right, you're a two-time mock uh, national draft champion. Um, how close are you to having your mock first round nailed down? <laughs> no chance. Uh, I mean, what, I, what I'm trying to do right now is like trying to like, what are the picks that I feel, this, regardless of the order, not, without going, you know, 1 to 32, just where on the board do I feel most confident and then trying to fill in things around that. But, you know, like I said, even at the very top of the draft, uh, you know, it's hard to know what's going to happen. Even if we buy the Trayvon um, Walker stuff at 1 and think Aiden Hutchinson goes 2, Houston could go in numerous directions at three, same with the Jets at four, the Giants at five, and so on. Does Carolina take a quarterback? I'm kind of thinking no, but it doesn't mean it's, you know, it's possible. I mean, there's there's absolute reasons to think they could. So, um, And I have people kind of, you know, I've been showing people my work-in-progress mocks, and some people tell me I'm right on having no quarterbacks in the top ten, and others are yelling at me that I'm an idiot. So, um, yeah, well, we'll I, I know. So the answer to your question is not very close. All right, I um, we will talk before the draft uh, on radio for sure, uh, and we will you know have a better sense of what you're thinking in terms of the mock and who you're mocking to Washington at eleven. I'm telling you right now, you should subscribe to the Athletic just so you can read Ben's coverage of Washington. Um, thanks for doing this. Uh, we'll talk on radio later in the week. Can I ask, can I throw out an NBA topic? And if you want to cut this, or just cut this. But I have an NBA thought. And I can't <laughs> talk about it with anywhere else. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so obviously everybody's making a big deal about Ben Simmons not playing, and then the whole thing with the Nets—you know, just imploding, they're losing, a, getting swept, and Kyrie's whole journey this year is a huge prop part of that of that reason. Do we, do we think that we may it may be rest in peace player empowerment era as we know it based on these two things? Because I gotta figure the owners are going to say, screw this, and the owner slash the league, that these guys have like hijacked the whole situation. And I think what they, what those two did in particular is they're very different than like LeBron forcing himself to the Lakers or Cleveland or, or whatever. Like This feels like we may have reached the end of the player empowerment era as we know it. Yes. Tommy and I essentially said the same thing on the podcast yesterday when these owners and players get together for the next, you know, CBA uh, contract. Um, it's going to be about situations like this and not allowing it to happen. They're not going to pay guys that go AWOL. They're just not going to do it anymore. Hey, speaking of that, I've got to go because Naki's coming up next and uh, he's got a uh, tight deadline. So uh, we'll talk later in the week. Thanks. The aforementioned Chris Naki coming up next. We'll talk some NBA playoffs with him right after these words from a few of our sponsors. 
If you want to bet the NBA playoffs, bet them at MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC, and they'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. Hopefully uh, you didn't have... Uh, the Brooklyn Nets in round one. But on the flip side, you probably got some pretty good odds of the Celtics winning that series in a sweep. Uh, Joining us right now is my good friend Chris Naki on the podcast. Naki, like me, were, I think, among our group of friends, among the very few that are staying up and watching these NBA playoff games. I love this time of year. I know you do too, right? Yeah, I mean, it's so high level. And, um, you know, I think some of these games, you mentioned the Nets, Celtics, and I get that the Nets were swept. Um, but it, probably in three of those games, I thought you could cut the intensity with a knife, you know, the, the tension. I think it was just such great drama in those games. It, it really was. I, I, I talked about game one where Boston, you know, came back, or it was game two when they were down a bunch and they rallied and came back. And I talked about it the next day. I don't know in recent memory, college or pro, if I've heard a crowd like that one. I mean, the NBA crowds that go to these games are incredible, especially knocking in some of the markets that don't have anything else like Salt Lake. And, you know, we've seen OKC and how they react, you know, in previous years. But Boston was off the charts. And the intensity for the two games in Brooklyn, they, it was great. It's a different sport in the postseason. Well, and, of course, the, the Boston hatred for all things New York is a part of that as well. But, Kevin, I, I think that one of the reasons why I've really been intrigued by these playoffs is is like you mentioned. There's new blood in this now with you know, the Grizzlies, you know, with, with Memphis being in, Minnesota being in, and the, and the venues that they play in are like college arenas with, with the energy that they have. Uh, so, I think that's been a part of the experience here these first, you know, these first couple of weeks. And I, and I get that, that first Boston New York game still probably the best game of the playoffs that I've seen, but. There have been a lot of really good games. You know, you're, you're so right, and I think it's what people who are big college b- basketball fans and then they watch the NBA in the regular season, and for whatever reason, they don't give the NBA in the playoffs a chance. The NBA in the playoffs in terms of atmosphere and intensity is – you know, equivalent, if not uh, exceeding of what the, you know, best in college basketball has to offer during the regular season with one big difference. And that is the skill level and talent is off the charts. I mean, you, uh, you know, your whole life has been basketball and uh, you know how much I love it. I don't think I've, you know, and I'll be honest with you, I wasn't paying attention a lot to the regular season this year, in part because the Wizards were so bad. Um, I don't think that the skill level's ever been higher than it is right now. Yeah, I mean, I I, I totally agree with you. And and the the level of athlete just gets better and better and better with training, you know, the advances in training and things like that. Um, uh, You know, with Jay Wright leaving college basketball, a friend of mine sort of, uh, pose this, you know, he asked me, do you think Jay Wright's ever going to get back into coaching? And I said, I don't think he'll ever be a college coach again, but he could very easily end up coaching the team in Philadelphia uh, within the next year or two. And, and I get this question all the time. His follow-up question to me was, why would a really successful college coach want to be, want to go to the NBA? And, I mean, to me, the answer is as simple as, 
you want to you want to test yourself with and against the best players on the globe, and that's what they are. They're the best at their sport on on the planet, and the level of play, you know, for the most part in the regular season. And I get people who ho hum the NBA in January and February, but if those people aren't tuned in now, uh, they're missing it. Because uh, this is a completely different sport than the one that's played in January. You're exactly right. And I think there's another part to this, which I, I, I'm going to guess that you've thought about and, uh, and talked about with people as well. And that is, you know, college now is just so much different. I think it's probably one of the reasons uh-huh. Jay Wright isn't coaching. But to deal with Transfer Portal and NIL, you know, it is coaching in the NBA is probably easier than it is now in college basketball, even though recruiting was always a big part of it. But, you know, I, there was a story that broke just a little while ago that Jay Wright isn't, uh, you know, uh, saying no to a future possibility in the NBA. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if at 60 years old, he thinks the NBA would be easier. And now is the time for that challenge because, of the wild, wild west that college sports have become. Well, I think he's the ultimate player's coach, for one. I mean, I think that league suits him. Um, you know, the colleges now have unfettered free agency. In the NBA, at least when you draft a guy, you know you're going to keep him for, what's the rookie deal, three, four years? Yeah. Um, and so so it's not like a guy can can get pissed at you, you know, after not playing for a week and then jump into a magical portal. It just doesn't happen like that in the NBA. So to your point, um, you know, I think it is dramatically easier uh, and you don't have to recruit. It's basically basketball coaching. Now you don't have all the prep time that a, that a college coach would in terms of the ramp up to the season because the NBA is such a, what is it, a six months, six, seven, eight month endeavor, uh, eight months for the teams that get to the finals. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, back to the, the playoffs, Kevin. Um, you know, somebody's going to get upset here. I'm not sure who it is. I, Phoenix needs to have Devin Booker back. Otherwise, they're susceptible. They're really mortal uh, with him uh, with him out. But the star turns of some of the young players, John Morant, uh, Desmond Dane, just on, the, on that team alone, uh, there have been guys that I think most people don't even know who they are. And you watch these guys playing, you're like, where the hell did that guy come from? Yeah, you know, let's stick with that right now because I was going to kind of, you know, turn the conversation to Kyrie and Ben Simmons, but we'll save that for the end and we'll talk about the the, the great basketball and the great young players. I agree with you. Like, I mean, I loved John John Morant last year, you know, and and but this year, I think uh, of all of the teams that are playing right now, and obviously this team needed Paul George to miss the play, you know, the final play-in game with COVID to yeah. even be here. Yeah. yeah. But Brandon Ingram is unbelievable. I, I, I didn't think he was this good and this competitive. And the Lakers gave up on him. I know. <laughs> you, you know, you look at the guys that the Lakers have let go over the last three, four, five years. Ingram, you know, chief among them. You know, Ingram's one of a handful of, of guys like Jason Tatum who are just positionless. They're long, they're lean, they handle, they shoot, uh, you know, and guys like that, I mean, they don't fall off trees. To think that Ingram was out there and available, and obviously he got traded for a very good player in AD. Right. Uh, but, man, things worked out for, uh, for New Orleans with that trade. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I Devin Booker's not going to play tonight, um, or I'm sorry, in Game Five tomorrow night. As as far as the you know the latest on that uh, is concerned, actually, actually, I'm sorry, Game Five is tonight. Um, you know, out yes, in Phoenix. Yep. Uh, do you think New Orleans can win this series? Um, I think you know they did a much better job on Chris Paul in the last game. Uh, obviously, with Booker out, it comes down to what Paul is going to do. Uh, uh, you know, for your team. In, that, in game three in New Orleans, I mean, he just dominated the fourth quarter. It was a, a pick-and-roll 101. I mean, it's just fabulous play after play after play and did it without a turnover, too. Uh, they handled it much better in game four. And those are the adjustments, you know, um, that you have to make these series. You get to know the other team so well uh, when you're playing every couple of days that – you do have to, you know, you do have to make some pretty subtle adjustments, and they did not let Paul uh, beat him in that game. Uh, they they contained him much better than they did in Game Three. So, I think, you know, New Orleans certainly has a chance. Phoenix, of course, and I think one of the reasons why Booker's not playing, aside from perhaps he's just not ready, but it might be one of those things too, where they think, okay, well, that, you know, we're back at home, we have the home home court advantage back. Uh, we can survive one more game without him. Maybe it's that, that's their thinking. But uh, but it's a lot more even now than it was, that's for sure. I mean, when Booker went out, Kevin, he had 31 in that game. I know. In a, just a, in a but it was, but it was a tight there. game. It was a tight game. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. So, so Tommy and I, the other day, I love doing this to him, um, but uh, I don't know if you heard the debate that, you know, Chris Mad Dog Russo had with Stephen A where, you know, they were talking about Chris Paul being a top five point guard of all time. And, and, and Mad Dog was like, you know, you're insane. And he brought up Bob Cousy. And I told Tommy something that I told him two years ago when I watched this, like two years ago on NBA TV, they had game seven of the 1962 NBA finals as it was broadcast on ABC running on NBA on NBA TV and the next day I came in and I told Tommy I said I just watched this I just want you to know as much as I'm a big you know past you know and I I recognize evolution training diet the whole thing Um, but uh, you know I'm a big guy uh, big into you know Jordan is just as good as the guys today and Carl Malone you know physically would match up with guys today etc etc but that 1962 final uh, DeMatha's varsity would have beaten either team by 30 <laughs> points. I'm I'm 100% convinced of it. Of course, Tommy loses his shit every time that uh, happens and he's yeah. like and he's like, "Well, you know, maybe Kuzi, but not Russell or 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 Wilt." And you know, Wilt wasn't in that game for 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 uh for the Lakers. It was game 7 between the Lakers and the but Elgin Baylor was. And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah may, maybe Russell, but let's let's be fair here. Like Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant, you know, they're the size or bigger than Bill Russell was. And he he had to play center with his back to the basket. And I know he was an outrageous winner and outrageous competitor, but it really is it you can this argument is done all the time. You can't compare errors. There's just physically yeah, the players in the past wouldn't match up. Well, it is a fool's errand, no question, to compare errors, but but I I, I like to look at it like this. Okay, so you know, Bob Cousy gets deified. You know, he was the first real great point guard, I guess. you got to give him that. Yep. Um, you know, all, all he could do was play against the guys he could play against, you know? I mean, but if you took – give me, like, the sixth or seventh best 
point guard in the NBA. Give me uh, uh, Dam- Damian Lillard. Okay, yeah. who might be at this point in time? I, I don't yeah, know, five, maybe, six, maybe now. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you if you sent him back in time to that particular age and time, he would be the best player in the NBA by oh, a mile. By by uh, by miles, plural. I mean, yeah, he'd, 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 he'd average sixty he'd, points again. He'd average fifty plus. There's no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, sure. You know, sure. the, the, the Chris Paul thing is interesting because. I don't think Chris Paul is a top five point guard of all time. I like Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul's been a really, really good player. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt. But sorry, you know, I can name five right off the top of my head. You know, Magic, Oscar, Curry, Isaiah, uh, Stockton, you know, just off the top of my head. And I haven't even gotten to Nash or Jason Kidd or even Westbrook, if you want to talk about him um, as a point guard. I, I think Chris Paul is a top 10 point guard of all time, not top five. And one of the reasons is, first of all, you know, he's kind of moved around a little bit, you know, much of it to his doing, forcing his way into certain situations. Uh He played in his first finals last year. He's only been to one conference finals other than that. I mean, you know, Jason Kidd went to three finals. Like, this is a spot where if Kidd really is a top five point guard of all time, and I know he's late in his career, I understand that, but they're playing a team that is that was 10 games below 500 during the regular season. Chris Paul needs to be able to do enough to get, the, to get them through this series until Devin Booker can come back. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I—I I, I mean, I don't—I don't think he's a top five point guard either. I—I I said before the playoffs start, I don't know why I feel this way, but I feel like the way these playoffs are going to unfold, I'm not sure where it's going to happen, and maybe just in the finals. But I think that at the end of his career, Chris Paul will be one of those guys where they who they talk about, you know, you, who you hate—you hate to hang this handle on somebody, the best player never to have won a final. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't, you know, I mean, first of all, he's obviously he's much closer to the end of his career than he is in the beginning. He's only got a few years left. I just, I, there's something about him. He's so star-crossed, you know, the, the one year. Uh, he Stoudemire. Was Houston. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, it was, it was, he got hurt. He got hurt in the conference finals, right? Right. Uh, um, and so, I mean, he, he there's a, he's a little bit star-crossed, a little bit unlucky. I just don't get the vibe that it's in, in the cards for him. I, you know, I hope he gets his just desserts. That doesn't mean he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but uh, um, you know, just it's kind of a it's kind of a vibe I've got on him. But what? he's got to get it done, man. I mean, they're the they're the odds on. I, they had to be the betting favorite. You know more about that than yeah, I have prohibitive well, favorites going into this, right? Yeah, into this series, yes. I mean, you know, people were certainly giving... No, I'm talking about his champs. Yeah, Phoenix and Milwaukee um, and Brooklyn and Boston, you know, and then it was like the one... Yeah. Then, then the one seed, who is Miami, um, along with, yeah. you know, Golden State, who's a three seed, etc. By the way, what does it say... About we'll get to Brooklyn, Boston. I'm going to save that for the end in Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving, etc. But let's just say the Warriors do go on and and make the finals and maybe win a title. Does that say anything about Kevin Durant or not? I don't know. I you know, I so I, I, here's 
to me, what says as much about Kevin Durant as anything, Kevin. And, and I, I'm looking at it for, through a different lens, I think. You know, all I know is when the U.S. Olympic team was in dire trouble in this past Olympics, there was one guy who completely carried them on his shoulders to win a gold medal. And that was Kevin Durant. I, I think that I, I, there's a reason why, why James Harden wanted out of New York. I, I just think I think the, that the whole playing with Kyrie involves so much baggage. And, and then after the game, I see Kyrie talking about how the fact that he's going to be working in lockstep with management <laughs> to make decisions yeah. about personnel. Yes. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I mean, that, that's just lunacy to me. Yeah, I I think Kevin Durant's great. I I love that you brought up the gold medal. Not not only that, I mean he carried uh, New uh, Brooklyn last year in the p- playoffs with some of the greatest games of his career in that series against yeah. Milwaukee. You know, with with that team being you know de- devastated by injury. Um, but I do think you know sticking with Golden State here for a moment, I do think that they can win the whole thing. And I love watching them play. And I know it's not you know Curry, Draymond, Clay. Um, you know, with a couple of other players, I know what Wiggins means to that team, and 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 they're a good, you know, they've got a good team. But I definitely think they can win the title. Do you agree? They absolutely can, and they play the way it's drawn up, the way it's imagined. I mean, if there's, you know, if there, there's real basketball gods involved, they should win. I mean, I just love the way they play. They're they're so unselfish, and they got they got a bunch of guys. They got a lot of depth. And Draymond, I tell you what, I I swear, I mean, he's got to be a complete pain in the ass to coach, Mm. but what a glue guy. I mean, I don't know in the history of the league, he's got to be one of those top four or five facilitators, defenders. You know, you talk about all the things he does for you. uh, It's remarkable what he's able to do still uh, at his size. Don't you think Boston plays the right way, too? Yeah. Yeah, and the other thing is about Boston. I was amazed at how physical they are. Oh, uh, yeah, and it's a strong group of guys. Uh, Brown and uh, Tatum have really matured physically, and they're playing a team now in Milwaukee, or they will be playing Milwaukee. That's going to be. They need five officials on the court for this game. I mean, these guys. These are the two most physical teams in the league. Uh, completely gifted athletically. I mean, this is a this is going to be a Donnybrook. I, I, I can hardly wait to see this. I know, but after game one, I was expecting a very long series with Brooklyn. It didn't work out that way. Um, I agree with you about Golden State. I think Boston plays the way that that we we you know you and I and and others like us like to see the game played. I think Miami does. Uh-huh. I think Miami does as well. Um, but yep, it's, but, yep. a, but a team like Brooklyn does not. I mean, you know, there is, you know, strictly trying to get a matchup space the floor and we're going to go one-on-one and we're going to let Kyrie and Durant, you know, break it down. I love, I love the way they competed in this series. I thought Kyrie ran out of gas. But I think that, you know, unless New Orleans pulls off the upset, the biggest shocker of this first round is that Brooklyn got swept. And by the way, yeah, I know the games were close. Be, but... I know the games were close, yeah. but... I do think that Boston proved over those four games to be the better team, if not, you know, significantly better. Oh, clearly. Yeah, clearly. Uh, and, and also, um, as much as I love Durant and the player he's been and the player he is, I think Jason Tatum has, has, has eclipsed him in terms of 
what he can do. And, and the reason, the different differentiator is what he, he can do defensively. Uh, Durant still kind of indifferent to the defensive end. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think clearly Giannis is the best player in the sport, but, uh, Tatum has got to be in the conversation for, for the guy behind him. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I'm I, I, Tatum's top five, definitely. Like if Boston wins the title, it continues the string of a top five player. When you, you have to have one of them to win the title, um, who's yeah. who's the team? Before we come back around and end on Simmons and and Kyrie, who's the team that? Because I think the, the, the surprise there have been some surprises. Look, Toronto's back in that series to a certain degree. Who's being slept on right now of the teams that are still alive? I think Miami is. I agree. I mean, and it's hard it's hard to say that about a one seed. Um but but they they do it without an all star. I mean, and I know Butler and Adebayo have been you know, have if uh have worn all star uniforms before, but I mean they don't have that top five guy that you're talking about, but they're they're as well coached as anybody is in the league. They're hard nosed. They've got a really nice edge to the way they play, and um, I just I, I don't know how they get as little respect as they as they do. But uh, that's to me, um, that's the team that's being slept on. It's hard to believe for number one. I'm surprised to hear you say that about Butler. Like you, 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 you like him clearly, but you, you relegated him to kind of second tier status in terms of the stars in the game. I'm, or did I, did I read that wrong? No, no, no. I think I think you read it right. I, I, what I think is he, his attitude, his edge permeates that whole team, and I think it's, I think that's the most important quality. He's clearly a very good player, um, and, and I, I just think that he gives the team a lot more than the points and rebounds and assists that you see. Um, he gives them a real toughness. Uh, he's one of those guys, you know, much like some of the other guys we've already discussed, that can play multiple positions. Yep. He has no problem defending uh, bigger guys. He gets into the paint. He's just a tough hombre, man. I mean, you don't have enough guys like him. Yeah, I think that you could make the case that through this first week and in three days or whatever, he's been the best player in the postseason. I think Tatum's really close, don't get me wrong. Um, but Butler, you know, has been – I think he's shooting – I looked this up this morning. I think he's shooting 55% from the floor and averaging over 30 a game with like, you know, eight rebounds and six assists somewhere in that neighborhood. I know they're not playing, you know, Brooklyn as Tatum has, and they're playing Atlanta, and that's different, but – I love Jimmy Butler. Like I, I love him the same way that I kind of love Kawhi Leonard. I think he's a phenomenal two-way player. I think he does it his own way, um, and it just you know it just works. I think he makes everybody else better. All right. I miss Kawhi, man. I miss Kawhi in a big way. Yeah, me too. Um, I would have loved to have seen if Paul George hadn't missed that game and they had gotten in because I think they would have. Uh, there was some discussion that Kawhi may have been back had they won a series. Um, Saw that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So let's end with what Ben Standig and I were just talking about in the previous segment, which is, you know, Ben basically said, and Tommy and I talked about it yesterday. Ben basically said, "Rip," as in rest in peace to sort of the player empowerment era. 
Um, not necessarily enforcing trades and trying to team up on teams together, but that uh, what Ben Simmons pulled, what Kyrie pulled, and you mentioned the quote, for those that missed it, uh, Kyrie Irving after the game last night um, you know, started talking again about how he and Kevin Durant are going to co-manage this team <laughs> as if he's got GM next to his name after missing 50-whatever games this year. Um, I, I think the guy is completely out to lunch, but uh, – are, they can't allow this, right? The NBA can't allow what Ben Simmons did to two teams this year. Yeah, I had this conversation with an NBA guy just yesterday, and he, and he said the exact same thing. He said, "Look what, look what the you know the Lakers, what happened to the Lakers and the Nets this year? You know, um, in, in terms of two teams that indulge indulge their stars, and uh, and he kind of the same guy kind of openly mocked the fact that." Uh, I don't know if you saw the LeBron Instagram uh, uh, video where he was talking about he was talking about I'll be back in the playoffs next year, but he was doing it from like Cancun or some <laughs> island somewhere. I have no well, idea where yeah. it was. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, he's got the money. Go ahead and do it, man. But I I I do I agree with Ben. I, I think that I think that these things are are sort of cyclical, and I do think that the players or the management can wrestle. You know, I don't know what you do about Kyrie. To me, Kyrie is a, he's an other, he's an, just incredible talent. Yeah. I mean, just a remarkable, remarkable talent. But but the rest of it, you got to wonder if the juice is worth the squeezing. I don't think it is. And uh, and I don't know, you know, and, and there was some speculation I saw, uh, Stephen A. was talking about the fact that Kyrie was considering, you know, basically, uh, bailing on his, you know, he wants to re-up and sign that Supermax deal. I, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you lay out that money for a guy like that with this kind of baggage. Yeah, well, I think it's a player option on, on that next year. So I don't know. I think that's right. I could be wrong about that. Durant's under contract through 26, I believe. Um, yeah, I, I think Kyrie's a different situation. Kyrie's incredibly selfish. Kyrie's incredibly lacking in self-awareness, clearly, um, and and delusional as to you know how smart he is and and how you know contribute to, you know how how much he can contribute to sort of roster management and the general uh, general manager's uh, role, the coach's role. Remember, they didn't really want a coach; they wanted Steve Nash. I actually don't blame Steve Nash for any of this, although. I really didn't see a good coach in this particular series, you know, in terms of making adjustments. And but you know, he 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 didn't handle roster management. He you know didn't have Kyrie for most of the year. They traded Harden away for Ben Simmons. I mean, it's been a shit show there for two years. Yeah, and the, losing Joe Harris was a, was yeah, a really point. big loss for them. You know, I mean, he he just he's he's not just a shooter. He's a tough kid. Um, he, you know, he'll work on defense. They, ultimately, Kevin, they didn't cover. They didn't cover enough to win. And and for, I mean, they're obviously they've got great offensive talent. But you, you, in the NBA playoffs, man, with these guys playing as hard as they are, and they're playing hard as hell, you got to defend better than they defended. They didn't. They didn't do it at any position. And uh, Harris would have helped him on that, as well as taking pressure off uh, with. Uh, you know, shooting jumpers. I mean, he's lights out. All right. Uh, last one. Finals prediction. Who Matt, Who plays whom in the finals and who wins it? 
I, I think it's a repeat. I, I think Milwaukee's the best team going right now. Uh, obviously, they're going to have to play really well to win these next two series to get there. Uh, but they're good enough with or without Chris Middleton. They're fine. Drew Holiday is playing at a, at a great level for them. Uh, the freak is the freak. I think Golden State gets through on the other side. I, I think Golden State ends up in what? a in a seven game series. I think Golden State wins the West. So you got Milwaukee, Golden State, with Milwaukee winning back to back titles. That was when you said I repeat. Do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Who do you like? I think Boston's got a chance to win this next series. I, th- I think that they there's a, there's a certain I, first of all I think he's doing a phenomenal job coaching them. I think they're so unselfish. Mm-hmm. They have a top three player in the game right now. So does Milwaukee, obviously. Um, and they've got you know you talked about you know Draymond in so many ways. Marcus Smart is kind of a version of Draymond, yeah, except yeah. except a better you know scorer if you really need him to be. I I, I love his game. He's the in many ways, the heart and soul of that group right now. I like Boston, Golden mm-hmm. State, but I, I, I'd, yeah, that, I'd go with either one of them. I mean, I think the, either one of them would be a great matchup. But I really want to see Golden State make a run here and get to the finals. Um, uh, I just, you know, watching Curry uh, play is as much fun as watching anybody play. I agree. I agree. No argument at all. Uh, thank you for doing this. Hope you're well. Anytime, man. Thank you. See you. All right, that's it for the day. Thanks to Naki and thanks to Ben. Back tomorrow. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.